We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome, welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast and recording this at a little bit of a different time, uh, this intro um, and my outro later. Big secret behind the scenes, I recorded the intro and outro at the same time, normally a couple days after my interview and uh, recording this on a Friday night as one of my neighbors is shooting off fireworks. Why? I don't know. It's uh, April 21st. Must be a day that people shoot fireworks. This is America. So that's uh, that's the world we live in. But just finished up coaching my daughter's softball team. We brought home the victory. Um, Ruby had two hits. Fantastic game. Um, it's coach pitch. I was the pitcher. So I felt like I did a pretty good job. I pitched well tonight. So I'm, I'm satisfied with that. But uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're not here to talk about my, uh, you know, softball pitching ways. We're here to talk about liberty. We're here to talk about finding your own freedom. We're here to talk about maybe becoming an expat and escaping the craziness of the United States. Maybe it's something that is right up your alley. Maybe it's something you've been thinking about. Maybe it's something you've even looked into but don't know where to turn next. Well, this episode my friends, is for you. And I will get to my episode in just one moment here. Uh, But before I do that, I want to remind you that all of my interviews now, I record a bonus segment. Uh, Today's episode is no different. So if you'd like to hear that 10, 15 minute bonus segment with my guest today, Mikkel Thorup, please join the Lions of Liberty Pride either on Patreon at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty or on locals, lionsofliberty.locals.com. All right, let's get into today's show. All right, we are live. I'm joined here by Mikkel Thorup. Mikkel is the founder and director at Expat Money. It's a private consulting firm started in 2017. You might recognize his name. Um, he's been on Lions of Liberty b- before. Um, I don't remember the exact date or time we were talking pre-show, but, uh, it, it was probably more than a year ago when he was on with, uh, with Mark on, uh, on his old show on Mondays. Uh, but he's back here. He has a new book out, uh, that's recently released. It's titled expats guide to Mexico. He's also the host of a popular weekly podcast called the expat money show. And he also wrote another book that was extremely popular called Expat Secrets, How to Pay Zero Taxes, Live Overseas, and Make Giant Piles of Money. One of the best book titles I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Mikhail, welcome to Finding Freedom. Amazing. Thanks very much for having me here, John. I I like your introduction very much. That's amazing. Well, it's it's great to have you here. And, uh, you know, you're you're no stranger to, uh, to Lions of Liberty. 
And the audience here is probably familiar with you, but I'm sure there are many who aren't, who've never heard of you. So um, let's dig a little bit into your background first and people can kind of find out, you know, what what makes you tick and and what you're all about. So um, obviously, you know, your focus is on expats and helping expats um, through your podcast, through your writing, through your consulting. So I guess the first obvious question is, how did you get into that? How did you uh, want to even become an expat in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So for my story, I have to go quite far back in time, but I will try to make it as concise as possible because, uh, as you said, I think I think I've been on Lions of Liberty. I think this might be my fifth or sixth time on the show. So we'll try to go through okay. it fast. But uh, basically, John, what happened was when I was a child, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. And one day, uh, a teacher pulled me out of class and sat me down in a room. And there was like the principal and the vice principal and the resource teacher. And they said to me, uh, Mikkel, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. And what we want to do is send you to a special school, special school for special boys. So that's what they did. Every day for three years, I got on a little white bus and I took a little white bus across town and I went to this quote unquote special school. Only problem was it was actually not a special school. It was a regular school with a special class. So you can probably imagine what happened. I got in tons of fights. I got picked on and I got bullied. And it was all around a pretty crummy experience. Now, John, this is no uh, woe is me, poor Mikkel, poor Mikkel, victim type Mm -hmm. of story. Certainly not. I mean, I hate that type of mentality. I hate that type of thinking. And to be perfectly honest with you, when I got hit, I hit back. And if I could, I hit back twice as hard. So <laughs> I would never claim to be to be a victim uh, in any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. But um, after three years, I eventually got to go back to my neighborhood school. And I thought, wow, everyone's going to be so excited to see me and they're going to be so stoked and everyone's going to be curious what happened. Um, and kind of first day, first week, you can probably once again imagine what happened. Everybody starts... Um, gossiping and whispering and, oh, I remember Mikkel. He went to some retard school. Thanks, guys. Very sensitive. You know how kids are. Very, very sensitive individuals. But um, it left a very bad taste in my mouth for public education. So I stopped going. And when I stopped going to school, uh, I began to fail all my classes. And then somehow they'd push me into summer school and I would fail that. And uh, eventually, I just I just completely stopped going. So long story short, I uh, I stopped going to school when I was 12 years old. And I officially dropped out when I was 15. And not shortly after that, I got an opportunity to travel and, and travel internationally. And when I got overseas, I started meeting all these incredible people who were living their lives so different than what I had ever seen uh, in southwestern Ontario. I'm, I'm from Canada. And um, yeah, started to meet all these incredible people who were learning differently and seeing the world differently. And I really felt like these are my people, like these are my peeps, you know, and I decided at that moment that I was going to continue to travel the world and explore the world. And that's what I've done for the last 23 years straight. I have been traveling the globe. So I've circumnavigated the globe over 400 times. I've visited 110 countries. I've lived in nine different countries. Um, And during this time of traveling the world, I've found uh, many ways that you can have legitimate freedom in your life, little 
tips and tricks and secrets and, and different ways about going through this. And, and that's what my business is all about. I work through the, the immigration, the tax and the legal side of going offshore. It's, you can think of it as the, the practical side of libertarianism. I don't talk about the theory about libertarianism or the mm -hmm. philosophy or anything like that. I only focus on the real life solutions. What are the things we can actually do today to have more freedom in our lives? And, and that's what mm -hmm. I do every day, all day. And that's what I help people with. And it's amazing. And I, I really like it a lot. So I know we kind of, uh, went over a very long period of time in a very short amount of right. uh, time. And so I'm happy to go in any direction you like, but that's just a little bit about me, uh, my background and kind of the work that I do. Well, uh, I, th I think you touched on a couple different important things there. One thing being, you know, the, the challenges you had early in life um, didn't force you, but kind of put you, uh, pushed you in a direction where you questioned the, the status quo, the status quo, and you were looking uh, for something different. Um, and I, I think that's one thing that holds people back, maybe myself included, to a certain extent, from pursuing something like this travel, becoming an expat, or at least traveling on, on a more frequent um, basis. And so, just to to dig into that that travel aspect of it. Um, do you think becoming an expat is it's a almost a, a prerequisite that someone has to really enjoy traveling or or maybe it's kind of an odd question or could someone who just you know maybe they just want to move to one country and and live there um is is, is that something that you think uh is there's an appetite for that as well well, uh, I guess I will answer your question by kind of talking a little bit about my clients. And I can tell you what is very mm -hmm. popular right now. Most of my private clients kind of fit into one of two boxes or one of two buckets, you know, they're either the people who, you know, see what's happening in the world and want to set up a plan B. They want to get a residency and a bank account and a company formation, maybe some real estate overseas so that if we continue to lose freedom in the West, you know, they've got this backup plan, you know, a landing pad where they can go to. So that's kind of like bucket number one. And bucket number two are the group of people who are, are they're done. Like, they're like, I'm out of here. I've had enough of this type of stuff. I want to live somewhere else, you know? Okay, there's many reasons that people become an expat. You know, maybe you travel for work and you move overseas for work. But mm -hmm. really, the majority of my people are freedom seekers, you know? That's, that's, that's what I specialize in, is helping those who are highly motivated to find more freedom in your life. So really, it's, it's the bucket one who want a plan B, and if things get really bad, then they're going to kind of move themselves into into bucket number two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, as for your question on, you know, do you need to love travel to be able to do these things? I'd say it certainly helps. I mean, it's not going to be mm -hmm. a hindrance that you have a, uh, an open mind and want to experience the world and a bit of curiosity. Like if you want things to be exactly as you, as they are back home for you right now, and probably moving offshore and being an expat might not be a good solution. You have to, yeah. you know, you got to be open-minded. You got to think of these things through different people's perspective. You have to understand that there's going to be challenges. There's things to work through. But, you know, what are the other options that people have? I mean, you can bury your head in the sand and kind of pretend that we're not losing freedom at an alarming rate. Mm -hmm. But that's not, that's not a reality. Like, I mean, you know, we need to have 
objective thinking about this. We can clearly see what's going on in the world. And I think that people have a responsibility to, to themselves, to their family, to their business, that they need to be prepared. And it's not like we can't look back through history and see instances where there were clear warning signs out there of totalitarianism and mm -hmm. things that people could have changed at, at definitive moments that would have saved them, but they didn't, you know? So I think that a lot of things over the last three years, there've been, you know, blaring like red alert kind of things. And now it's just like, well, what is the piece that is going to motivate you, you know? Is yeah. it the lockdowns? Is it the vaccine mandates? Is it the war? Is it technocracy and a technocratic state that's coming in? Is it um, digital IDs? Is it the banking collapse? I don't know what it is, but a lot of people, there's, there's one thing and it's like, oh my God, I can't believe this is literally happening right now. And I need to do something. I need to make a move. And so, yes, it can be uncomfortable. Things can be difficult through it. But at the same time, when you start getting these plans in place and, and we can kind of get in the different ways of how you can actually have a lot more freedom, like the specifics. But when you start mm -hmm. working through these, a lot of my clients, I can tell you, John, you know, they, they come to me and they're very anxious and their shoulders are up and they got a lot of stress and they're losing sleep at night. And then week by week, as I talk to them, their, their shoulders kind of drop. And they start to feel a little bit better. And, you know, they kind of realize that they're a lot more prepared to handle all of this stuff that's going on. So does that make mm -hmm. sense? Does that answer no, your that, question? That, yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, so let's, let's kind of let's play this out. So your clients who, who come to you, um, do they typically come with, you know, an idea of, or have already selected a country where they would like to relocate to? Or are they coming to you saying, Mikel, this is my situation. This is what I'm looking for. And, and maybe you're, you're, you're recommending uh, one that's a good fit. So good question. I actually get both. You know, I get a lot mm -hmm. of people who are like, oh, I went to Costa Rica five years ago and it was very beautiful. You know, I think I want to move to Costa Rica. But then you can also look at it and go, does that mean they want to move to Costa Rica because Costa Rica is the best option or is it because mm -hmm. it's the only place that they have any experience with? So the comfort level is a little bit different in that country. So what will often happen is I will get private clients who engage my services. And on the first call, they'll tell me about their travel experience, where they went, what they liked, what they did not like. And even if they have an idea in their head, you know, we can definitely work with them on that country. And in, in this example, it's Costa Rica, but it could be any one of, you know, many countries in the world, mm. not to pick on Costa Rica. But often what I am trying to do instead is really focus on what their goals and objectives are. So I try to get to know who they are and really what they're after, what, what their fears are, what they're worried about, what uh, financial situation they're in, their likes, wants, and needs, their hobbies, uh, if they have kids, a spouse, are they on board? How do they feel about all these types of things? Try to build a lifestyle that, you know, they actually want to live. Like we have a, a great opportunity to, to create something from scratch here. So then I'm trying to pick a country which is going to most closely match those goals and objectives. So I kind of look at it you know, they usually come to me from this direction and I'm usually coming at it from that direction. And somehow we meet in the center. And then what I want them to do is 
you know, don't necessarily make a definitive decision and, and be completely beholden to that decision, but to try things out, to come down to the place, to take a look around, to see, smell, taste, you know, what the country has to offer. And then mm-hmm. they ha- can make a more educated uh, decision. And I'm able to shortcut a lot of the process. And, and I'll give you a, uh, a real life example, okay? Uh, one hour before today's call, I had a brand new private client who um, it's our, our first call together, husband and wife. And they are some, um, they're really great people, but they've also been to Costa Rica. And they said, oh, we want to do our visa for Costa Rica. We want to move mm-hmm. to Costa Rica. It's going to be great. I said, okay, fantastic. And um, the only problem was that with Costa Rica, they need to get their residency very fast. Their goal and objective was to get a residency as fast as possible. Well, uh. in Costa Rica, it can take a year, 18 months, two years to get a resolution on your visa. Mm. So now you have what their experience and what they think they want to do versus the actual goal and objective, which is get a residency as fast as possible. So then we start talking about other types of programs and countries where we can get a residency for them in you know, a couple of days, maybe a week. So you got 18 months on one side and seven days on the other side. Right. So, you know, when we work through these things, it, uh, it can shortcut a lot of this and a lot of uh, stop people from making mistakes like this by just going on and reading a blog article or watching a YouTube video mm-hmm. and thinking that because someone else did it or because of their situation, it's going to fit me, you know? Does that make yeah. sense? No, that definitely makes sense. And it's it's so funny that Costa Rica keeps coming up. I was just uh I just met with my accountant, of course, in the US. We're we're paying our taxes today, April eighteenth. We're recording this. And uh the secretary was just talking about, I think she's it was her like brother in law, uh the and wife that had moved to Costa Rica and bought a and bought a, a coffee, um, coffee farm. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. Costa Rica was, was in the front of my mind coming into this. Costa but I hear Rica wonderful is, things about Costa Rica. But yeah, it's, I, I like how you put it. Like there's, there's so much nuance that goes into making that decision. And there's so many different factors. And as someone like myself who has a you know, background in, uh, in risk management, risk analysis, um, mm-hmm. there's so many different move, moving pieces and parts that come into making a complicated um, decision and making sure you have you know, your proper mitigations in place to, uh, to protect yourself. Absolutely. And I, and I love Costa Rica. It's a beautiful country. I've been there many times over the last 20 years. And mm-hmm. for certain people, it works perfectly. And for other people, it's a terrible decision. So we really have to start with kind of what the goals and objectives are, and then figure out how to best get there and not make assumptions mm-hmm. that we know the answers straight off the bat. Usually to kind of flesh all these things out it takes time. You know, I, I, I always do a year's worth of consulting with my private clients and, uh, and it's a, it's a process to get to know them and their history and their background and, and everything like that. But that Mm -hmm. way we don't make like massive mistakes because what often happens when people try to do this themselves, they, they think they're saving money by doing it all by themselves and they'll show up in a place and they'll end up working with, a crummy lawyer who doesn't know their situation or, you know, they're getting advice from uh, a random YouTube video or something that uh, is not tailor made on them. And they've relocated their whole family and got rid of their business and all of these types of things. And there's so many mistakes over the the period of time. And actually it ends up costing them so much 
money and, and effort and energy and stress and headache, you know, I really recommend that people take this seriously. Like this is your life. Like this is, there's nothing more serious than this. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to work with someone who really knows you, who is trustworthy, who has been through these things themselves and can give you good tailor-made experiences and and advice based on your needs. You know, this is not a DIY type of situation. Right. No, 100% agree with that. I mean, you're making a life-altering decision, not just for yourself, but for your family, for, for you know, for your loved ones, for your for your, your financial life. Um, so that, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense to me. So let, let's talk about Mexico. You, you wrote this, uh, this recent book, Expat's Guide on Moving to Mexico. Um, Mexico, and this might just be like a U.S. thing, sort of the propaganda coming out from Mexico right now into the U.S. is Mexico is a, is a dangerous place. And, um, of course, you could look at any U.S. city and uh, the same things are happening in those U.S. cities. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But for whatever reason, it seems like there's this propaganda push right now that Mexico is, uh, is a dangerous place. But um, tell us about um Mexico, tell us about this book. What motivated you to kind of single out Mexico uh, to write a book about, you know, becoming an expat there? So in all of my writing, I try to do the the good, bad, and ugly. I'm not trying to do, um, you know, only one country or only one destination. Like I don't have a, mm -hmm. a country to sell by any means. My main business yeah. is consulting. That's how I earn all of my money. That's what I do for a living is I am a consultant. So I have clients who will come to me and I will give them the broad spectrum of the countries, the jurisdictions, the tax obligations, the immigration requirements. I deal with all of the esoteric pieces of moving offshore. You know, I'm not the guy who's going to, you know, turn on your electricity bill when you get to a, uh, to a new country or, you know, put your things in a shipping container. As for Mexico, Mexico has a lot of really fantastic things and it has some not so great things about it. But what is important, John, is not that Mexico is the best country and Mikel says go to Mexico and he wrote the book on Mexico. So therefore, I need to go to Mexico. What is important, John, is to look, sorry to be a broken record, but to look at your goals mm -hmm. and objectives, look at the things yeah. that are important to you, and then get educated about these things. Understand what the landscape entails. And for certain people, Mexico is a fantastic option. And for someone else, Mexico is a terrible option. So what I want to do with this book is help you to make a decision whether Mexico is a country that you should participate in or not. And in some of these cases, or in a lot of these cases, it's really not about finding Shangri-La. It's not about finding that one perfect country. Because to be honest with you, Shangri-La doesn't exist, okay? There are some great things in every country and there's some crummy things in every country but if you think of it kind of like that swiss cheese model when we're trying to build freedom you know mexico has some great things um but then there's some holes there as well so what we try to do is have another residency or another citizenship or structuring in another country which is going to kind of plug those holes and then as we add countries and jurisdictions and structures and legal frameworks and all of these pieces, all of those holes start to be plugged up, you know? If, if I could just, if I could just ask a question yeah, to, to, to dig in on that, on uh, the yeah, Swiss cheese aspect of, of, of plugging the holes, could you just give some, maybe some examples of, you know, um, 
how that would happen or what what you're trying to mitigate against by getting residency in you know several different countries fantastic question all right so let's let's use a real life example and right now we are talking about uh, Mexico so Mexico beautiful country amazing weather fantastic people the food is to die for from a lifestyle mm-hmm. standpoint Mexico is unbelievable however, Mexico is not a tax-free country. Marginal tax rate is 35%. So if you become a tax mm-hmm. resident of Mexico, that's still a lot of money that you're going to be paying in taxation. I specialize in offshore jurisdictions. My way of looking at it is like 1% is too much, okay? 1% is 1% too much, all right? I like zero tax countries. Now, what about somewhere like Costa Rica, like what we were just talking about? Well, Costa Rica, Panama, Belize, Nicaragua, these countries all follow a territorial tax system, which means that if your money is generated outside of the country, then there's no tax for you inside the country. Now, the only caveat is I'm talking about that country's taxation, okay? I'm not talking about your U.S. tax side or other residencies or anything like that. We can discuss that, but that's another piece of the puzzle. So maybe when we're designing a plan, you really love Mexico and you love the cultural and the lifestyle side. So to make sure that you're not a tax resident, we want to show stronger ties for you in another country. Maybe we want to show the ties here in Panama where there's no taxation. So we would want to make sure that you're spending at least 183 days in Panama, which is kind of that Mm. bright line test for taxation. And then you can go back to Mexico for four months a year and you can enjoy the beaches or you can go up to the mountains or you can drink, um, you know, nice artisanal mezcal and stuff like that. And, (laughs) you know, like there's lots of different things. So it's, you know, there's good things about it and there's not so good things about it. Like personally, when we're looking at cultural stuff, I don't think that Costa Rica has a lot of points for it on the cultural side of things, you know, but from a tax standpoint, they're way better off, you know, and then there's problems. So that that's one example, but we can also look at ownership of real estate with ownership of real estate in Mexico. If you're close to the U S border or to the coast, you can't own real estate as a foreigner in your own name. So what we need to do is we need to set up a trust and the trust has to be owned by a bank and the bank. What, 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 then owns what's a, the, what's the distance you said you're close. If you're close to the coast, you're, you know, off yeah, it's like- 50 miles and a hundred miles. So really? Uh, wow. Yes. Yeah. So there's ways around it. There's little hacks and things like this mm. so that you can still own the real estate. But uh, but that's something to consider. Um, mm-hmm. Even in Costa Rica, when we're looking to own real estate, if you own real estate on the beaches, it's actually leasehold for certain pieces of land. So now you have to have basically a permission slip from the government and you should be able to renew it. But what if they change the rules? What if you can't at some point? But then right. we look at a place you know, lots of other countries where you get the title deed, you know, the strongest document for property that you can have. And then we can also look at, okay, with the real estate, can you own it in your own name? Can you own it in the name of a corporation? Can you even own it in the name of a trust or a foundation? Can you own it in the name of a trust or a foundation where your name is not on the trust or the foundation? So we can use nominee services. So now we have these corporate blockers and separation and privacy and anonymity between what you own and yourself. So if someone goes to the public registry, how do they get these types of things? So if you're looking at privacy, if you come to me and say, listen, I want to be very, very private. I'm a very low key type of person. I don't want my name out there. Okay, great. 
we'll work through all of these types of things. But once again, that's back to the goals and objectives. So mm-hmm. all the way to circle way the way back to why I wrote the book on Mexico. To be honest with you, Mexico is the first book of a series of books that I would like to write. And I want to be brutally honest in these books. I want to tell you the good things, the bad things, the things you need to be aware of. And now people will be able to get educated if, on these things from someone who's really done them, who's actually been through this stuff. I'm not a, I'm not an armchair traveler, John. You know, like I, I mm-hmm. literally go to the countries, I do the real estate, I get my information from either the government websites, from going through the process myself, or working with the local lawyers, and I have them check everything so that the the, the information is correct, but we would like to do books on a number of different countries um, that are very freedom-minded. And then I believe with this, you know, when people have this information, they can make better decisions. But if you don't have the information, then it's very difficult to to work through this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, uh, have a question. This might be a little bit out of left field, but you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, sort of the walls closing on us in the, uh, in the United States here and what's going to be that, that trigger to make, you know, to make someone move. And you mentioned the technocratic state and the inflation, um, banking systems, all of that. Um, sort of all of that is tied up maybe in the next thing that's coming, which would, would be CBDCs. And I'm curious if, if that's an area where you're already starting to look at maybe some some countries that could be free or protected from from uh, from CBDCs, or maybe it's too early to to make that judgment. So we're keeping a very close eye on all of these types of things. What my main plan and trying to get prepared. Uh, my clients, what we're doing, a lot of them is we're really trying to make sure that they are in tangible assets. So I don't Mm. deal with stocks or mutual funds or money managed accounts or any of these types of things. What I really like are timber, agricultural land, real estate, precious metals, things that you know, you actually own. And the ability of a foreign government to come in and seize land that is held in, a, in another country, I mean, that's just not the low-hanging fruit. The low-hanging fruit mm. is your mutual fund. It's your Schwab account. You know, it's, it's the stocks held in your own name. So as we look at the tangible assets, we want to worry about how it's structured. So I'm really encouraging people to get out of debt. I know that there's supposed to be good debt and bad debt and consumer debt and investment debt and everything like that. As we're going through this CBDC, I believe that one of the biggest hooks that they will have into people is massive amounts of debt. And I think that they will collapse the banking sector. I think they'll collapse the housing sector. I think that they're going to try to collapse anything and everything that they can. And, and it will happen. So if you own foreign real estate with a title deed, that is owned by a foreign corporation where your name is not on it and there's no mortgage or financing and it is paid in full, I think that their ability to get access to these things are greatly diminished. So that is how we're trying to protect against a lot of this CBDC. And then we're going to watch and see with what happens. But it's it's getting your assets and your wealth into, mm. into things that are more protected as kind of step one. And then everything else, you know, is kind of a, a work in progress because we just don't know what countries will go forward with it. 
with this, which countries will fail, who's going to align. I mean, it's, it's just a moving target at the moment. Yeah, no, that's, I, I, I appreciate that, uh, you know, th- that advice there. It, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I, I currently, you know, have a lot of investments in a, in an IRA right now. And I, I, just like you said, I know that's something that is easy for them to clamp their, uh, clamp their claws into. So, Mm-hmm. I think I got some tough decisions um, upcoming, but also I do a lot of real estate investing in the U.S. I, I, I know, I mean, I, I buy and sell vacant land, so I understand that market, mm-hmm. and it really resonates with me um, buying land in foreign countries. Um, that's sounds like a smart investment to me. But uh, so let's uh, let's pivot a little bit now, and uh, let's. I do want to talk about one more aspect of something that you offer that I wasn't I wasn't aware of, which is your expat international school. Can you talk a sure. little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So what has happened over of many years of doing consulting, John, is that um, a lot of my calls with private clients, you know, they would want to move overseas. They would want to get certain things taken care of. But there was always this this big roadblock, you know, like, well, what am I going to do with the kids? What am I going to do with their education? You know, or we just got into a good school district or something like that. So um, being the entrepreneur that I am, um, I wanted to go out there and try to find like a, a viable solution for this. So I partnered with a gentleman named Michael Strong. He's uh, very like-minded to to you and I and, and pro- probably the majority of your audience. And he has a huge background in curriculum design. And he has a, uh, worked with the Montessori school system and, and different types of school systems over the last 30-some-odd years. And he had a domestic U.S. school. And I really loved the model that he he designs the curriculum and the teachers and the program and everything like that. And, uh, and I partnered with him to take the school, the model, and make it international. So if you guys go to expatschool.io, you can find out more information. That the, the name of the school is Expat International School, um, Expat International School of Freedom and Entrepreneurship. And I really think that the, the name of the school is important because it really encompasses a lot. I do believe that entrepreneurs are the only path forwards. You know, quintessentially, an entrepreneur's job is to solve problems. That's what we do, you know. Mm-hmm. And freedom on entrepreneur, the, the freedom aspect is, is very much the, the libertarian type of minded uh, aspect. Now, we're not um, politically aligned in any sense of the word. You know, when I say libertarian, mm-hmm. I, I, I say it with a lowercase L, not a capital L. I, d- I don't know anything about the, the LP by any stretch of the imagination. But it's I do almost think like that- we need, it's almost like we need more of a separation when we're talking about libertarian ideas is to more separate from the, uh, the big L libertarian party. But anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I consider myself very libertarian. You know, mm-hmm. the non-aggression principle is my North Star. That is, for me, not a political ideology. It is a philosophical, it is a moral issue. Now, um, the school and my work and my consulting and my podcast and everything that I do at expatmoney.com always goes through that lens of the non-aggression principle. And... Mm-hmm. You know, the sister to the sister or the cousin to the non-aggression principle is personal responsibility. These are the 
the two main drivers of everything that I do, all of my work, my, my couple of businesses that I have, everything kind of falls within this. So when you um, work with me or my team or want to send your child to our school, you know, that's what you can expect from these types of things. Right. But as for the school itself, it is an online program. We are, we are in the permitting phases of building physical schools in Latin America, but right now it really? is a virtual school. Yes. Which wow. is super exciting, which I am super stoked about. So what we will do is when we have the physical schools, we will pipe in the best teachers in the world uh, for special classes. And then we will have like a, a tutor on site who will be able to help with a lot of the homework and different things like that mm -hmm. and answer questions. So it's kind of the best of both worlds of not being um, beholden just to the talent base that is in that small area of where the school is. You can have the best teachers come in, um, but then not be only virtual. You know, you'll still have the aspect of, of the kids interacting and playing mm -hmm. and doing science experiments and sports and things like that. But the program runs from eight years old to 19. We have, um, a, uh, juniors program, a middle school and a high school. And they're, not just video courses. You know, this is not just like a homeschooling curriculum. You watch a video, write a report. No, these are uh, video classes, maximum of 15 kids plus one guide. We don't call them teachers. We call them guides. They're there to help facilitate, to ask questions, to challenge you, to make you think and things like that. So anyways, that's, um, that's a little bit about the school. And uh, you guys can find out more information at expatschool.io. That's cool. What, uh, so you said in Latin America, so, so what country is the school being built in? Yeah. So I just purchased with a business partner, um, a big part of a big piece of land in the highlands of Panama. We're going through the permitting process to build a gated community up there. And it's a fully self-sustaining community, uh, gardens, livestock on site, et cetera, et cetera, awesome. solar, the whole works. And really the entire, community will be sold out um, just from my people. So very like-minded individual. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be building a physical school there. And then we have plans to do uh, these types of gated communities through a couple of other countries in Latin America. And then the idea will be that as you um, want to travel through Latin America, which you know, at the moment is pretty much the freest areas in the world are all held in Latin America. It's not in Asia. It's not in Africa. It's not in Europe. That's for sure. You know, Latin America is where it's at right at the moment. You know, you can travel through those areas and there's still opportunities for your kids to go to, to a physical school and meet the other kids that they would have met in the virtual programs. So it's kind of a back and forth. Um, you know, and I've got a couple of kids, so you know, I homeschool my kids and I, and I'm very, uh, philosophically aligned to public education or state run education. And this is the first program in my entire life that I actually feel good about my children participating in. So my kids are a little bit too young at the moment, but when they're at age, mm -hmm. they'll go through this program. So, you know, I designed it from an entrepreneurial side to help my yeah. private clients, but also because I needed the solution, you know, I needed a program for my kids. 
So yeah, so solving one of your own problems. If an entrepreneur can do that, then that's uh, you know you know it's going to exactly. work for others too. That's uh, that's brilliant, um, and I love the idea having multiple of them, and you know people can can travel through. That's uh, that's fantastic. Well, the other thing to think about, John, is that the price of land and homes and things like that is considerably less down here in Latin America than it is back home in North America. So often, mm-hmm. what will happen is. If a client sells their primary residence in the U.S. or Canada, when they take that money down to Latin America, they can buy two houses or three houses. So we could put all of the houses in one country, or we could space it out a couple of different countries, mm-hmm. which gives them more optionality, more ability to get residencies. It spreads you know, the eggs in multiple baskets. Mm-hmm. And it, I guess it goes into that stacking as you were talking before of the, correct, the Swiss correct. cheese and, and the different, uh, different layers there. So very, very cool stuff. Um, I did want to touch on, um, I heard your recent interview with Mark and, um, two different areas I want to touch on productivity and supplementation. And we'll go with <laughs> supplementation first because I'm someone who is very big in the supplementation. I've been drinking a, a natural energy drink here during this, uh, during this interview. Um, but, one supplement that I started taking again recently was one that, that you referenced in the very beginning of something you take every morning, which is which is creatine. And yeah, creatine I think, monohydrate, of course. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people hear that and, and they say, well, why are you taking creatine? Um, you know, are, are, you, are you trying to get, you know, real, real jacked in the gym? So a lot of people don't understand the benefits of it. So I'm, I'll ask you, why do you take creatine? For what, for what benefits? So, John, I run a multi-million dollar consulting firm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I am dealing with complex legal tax and financial issues. And as you can tell from the beginning of my story, I am not a lawyer, an accountant or a financial planner or a wealth manager or anything like this. Right. So I am always looking at anything that I can do to make sure that my brain is as focused as possible, that I get as many usable hours out of a day, that I can think creatively, like I can think with creativity, and I can work through all these problems. Because literally, like six hours a day, I am on Zoom with private clients dealing with really complex issues. So I started going out there and trying to find any type of supplementation, uh, diet, um, you know, workout routines, anything that I can do to try to maximize my, my ability to process information and creatine mm-hmm. kept coming to the list of the number one thing. So most people who will think about creatine and specifically creatine monohydrate is that it is used as a bodybuilding supplement. It uh, has to do with your ATP and your ability to hold water throughout the muscle, which can increase mm-hmm. your, your one rep max and your strength and everything like that. Okay. I, I go to the gym. I I'm very much into physical fitness, but that's not why I take it. I actually take it Mm -hmm. for the brain health and for the ability to um, connect neurons and pathways in the brain. And there's been study after study that shows for brain health that creatine, supplementation with creatine is very, very important. And uh, I've been supplementing with it for several years now. I, I just mix in a liter of water and I sip throughout the day. It tastes like Mm -hmm. nothing. Like you, you can't even... There's no flavor. There's no smell. It's granular. It doesn't really dissolve. So you just need to shake it a little bit or stir it. And there's no downside risk. You're not going to OD on it. I take uh, three milligrams a day, first thing in the morning on an empty stomach with water. 
And um, it's one of the most researched um, supplements in the world yeah. with millions of cases of use and very little downside. Yeah. And I mean, I, I take it for the same reasons for brain health, but also, I mean, it does, it does obviously help with, uh, with strength and trying to get stronger too, which is something I'm trying to do to build muscle. But yeah, I mean, th this is something that I, I took it a lot when I was in high school playing football for, you know, strictly for, um, you know, gaining muscle reasons. And for somehow it got like a, a bad rap in the, in the early 2000s. I'm not sure exactly why. Maybe because of things it was being mixed with, combined with. Um, Probably because that's the other thing I, I mean, slander yeah. for things that, you know. Yeah. Well, and it, it's well, cheap. Are always, it's, that's the other one. It's Yes, very cheap. Super cheap. Like you're talking pennies per dose. So, of course, they want to get rid of things like that. You know, they want expensive yeah. pharmaceuticals. They don't want things that are going to help you to be naturally healthy and cost nothing to use. So. Yeah. And all you need is the cheapest creatine monohydrate. Don't get it mixed with anything. Make sure there's, there's nothing else in it. Yeah. Um, there's a dozen yeah. different types of creatines and there's, you know, all this marketing that goes in the bodybuilding, just get it from some no name brand direct from mm -hmm. the source, get a kilo of it, put a little scoop in with your water every day. Yeah. Anything that you can do to make sure that you're getting the most out of your brain, that you don't have chronic inflammation, this, this cognitive function, you know, as an entrepreneur is so, so, so important. Absolutely. So we're going to go to the bonus show shortly here. Um, one more question for you before we get to the bonus. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about productivity and productivity hacks. You're someone who, as you talked about before, managing a multi-million dollar consulting firm, you're building schools in Latin America, you have your hands in a lot of different things. You have a podcast. Um, you know, many different things, your mind going in lots of different directions. I'm, a bit I'm sure you're for sure. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure your to do lists are um, qu quite, quite a thing to look at. But I, I'm curious what maybe your number one or top two tools that you use in order to stay productive, in order to organize your life. Sure. I think one of the main things that I, I try to practice is cognitive offloading. So I don't really try to keep anything in my brain. I am, I have notebook after notebook piled up of different topics, of different projects that are on the go. When I have an idea, I'm writing it down. I am outsourcing huge amounts of tasks and work to other people who will do things better than I will. Um, my main job is writing and speaking. Those are my core competencies. I try to outsource and um, everything else. I have a staff of 18 mm. full-time employees who work for me. I, I don't want to deal with all of the little things. You know, I want to I know what my main focus is and then spend all of my time doing that. And I want to get rid of everything else from my brain. Um, and it goes all the way from the, how I structured my home life. You know, I... I work from home. I have a home office. I have two full-time nannies who help take care of the kids. I've got a maid. I've got like a cleaning lady. Um, my mother lives with us who helps take care of the kids. My wife is a stay-at-home mother. So we've got lots of help in the house. Um, I've got all my staff work remotely. I give them task-based things and I just allow them to figure it out on their own. I don't try to define exactly what they do or how it should be done. I don't 
stipulate their working hours or when they work or anything like mm. that. You know, it's all asynchronous work. I give them a task. You know, I know roughly how long it should take. Uh, but if they want to work at two o'clock in the morning, if their most productive hours are from 2 a.m. to 7 a.m., great, do it. If it's nine to five, amazing. I don't really care. I got staff in multiple countries and I just want to get rid of all this stuff from my brain and just focus on the most important things. Does that answer your question? No, it absolutely does. And so, so you're, you're an actual, put it down on pen and paper. You're not talking about notebooks online. You're talking about physical notebooks. Yeah. Old school. Um, there's Old there's school, a lot to friend. be said for that. And I, I, I probably could, could uh, benefit from doing the same thing because once you do write something physically down and you dump it out of your brain, you know, it's there. You can look at it anytime you need to. So you don't need to, you don't need to think about it and it doesn't need exactly. to drive you nuts. So, yeah. And it's not disappearing in the black hole of email or, mm-hmm. um, you know, sharing file folders and things like that. I know exactly where it is. If I'm working on a new book, then I've got a space for that. If I'm doing client work, I've got a physical book for that where each client has their own page and I'm writing down information, you know, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, during the night, like, like, okay, here's another thing that I really like to do. And I do believe that it helps with productivity. I have all of my private clients when they start working with me. If we, John, if you're a private client of mine, and we've got a call coming up on Friday or something like that, I'll have you send me the major questions in advance, you know, the the questions, the the goals, the everything like that in advance. And I'll read through it, you know, that day and maybe once more at night. And then I kind of just turn my brain off and I just let my subconscious try to solve the problem. And then it might be the next day when I'm taking a shower or I'll wake up in the middle of the night or I'll be doing some exercise or some stretching or something like that. And I'll have an idea and then I'll jot that down on the piece of paper. And then I'll have another idea and Mm -hmm. jot that down. So basically, you know, we have our conscious mind that is able to solve problems, but actually what is a lot more powerful is to allow our subconscious mind to work on it in the background. But for that to happen, you need to feed it. You need to feed it the correct information and you need to give it time to work and you need to be open to the possibilities of all these things. So I always have all my private clients kind of send me the information in advance and then I just slowly go through it in my own time in the background so that I can be creative, so that I can come up with really good solutions to these complex problems. That is a great idea. I, I think I might I might steal an aspect of that for my uh, in my corporate Amazing. job doing my risk analysis work to Amazing. pull the information towards me, so I can think about it first before having to uh, make decisions. That's uh, yeah, that's and good. then you're not felt. You don't feel mm-hmm. pressure to give an answer right at that moment. You know, okay, if someone mm-hmm. asks me a question right now. Great. I can give you my first gut instinct response. But if I have a week to not even actively think about it, okay, active thinking is one side. I'm talking mm-hmm. about passively thinking about things in the background. I think that the decision making process, it's usually a much higher caliber. And to be honest with you, my clients pay me a lot of money. My fees are not cheap by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. So I only work with a couple people at a time. And when I'm working with people, it allows me to do these types of things. Right. Well, that's why they're paying you that much money. So they have your attention. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the the benefit of it. Right. Um, So we're going to go to the bonus, but before we do that, um, give people your links, your, your podcast, um, where they can buy the book, um, everything you're working on. 
Perfect. So the book or slash books, if you go to expatguidebooks.com, expatguidebooks.com, it'll redirect you. We've got a number of books and we're actually publishing another book uh, right now. So there's there should be a lot of books coming out um, depending on when you're listening to this episode. Uh, definitely a great way to dip your toe in the water and, and get to know a little bit about these things. You guys can also check out my podcast. So wherever you're listening to John and I talk, then go on that platform and search for Expat Money Show. Uh, should come up. My podcast's been going for about seven years now. We're at 240, 250 episodes. Um, very good response on the program. Thousands of listeners. Just a, a massive backlog of content about going offshore and being an expat. And then go to expatmoney.com, which is really where everything is. We have a daily newsletter. Three times a week, we put out blog articles. We have a weekly podcast that I mentioned, monthly webinars, uh, quarterly trips, annual conferences and summits, tons of stuff going on at Expat Money because we're not just an online community. Actually, we're a real-life community. We get together in person. We do a lot of events, a lot of big things going on. and. Um, and it's very good, John. I mean, really, we're making massive transformations in people's lives. These are practical, real-life things that people can do, not just theory, not just ideas, not just concepts, real things, you know, following the laws as they stand right now, how we can get more freedom. So it's it's really good, man. It's really, really yeah. good. I mean, I, I will just echo that. Um, what you're doing is really the essence of finding freedom. Um, you're, you're taking the actions and helping to uh, to lead people um, to find their own freedom. And that is a, a beautiful thing. So thanks for coming on the show, Mikkel. Pleasure's all mine. Thanks so much, John. Hope you enjoy that conversation today with Mikkel Thorpe as much as I did. And if you want more, if you're just saying, I just wish I could hear more of this conversation between John and Mikkel. Well, guess what? You're lucky. You can. There's a bonus segment and you can go listen to it. Just join the Pride Patreon or on Locals and you'll get it, plus all the other awesome perks that we have that you'll see outlined on those pages. So please, we would love to have you in the Lions of Liberty Pride. And with that, guys, I'm going to keep this outro pretty short today. Uh, about to get on a plane uh, with my lovely wife and head off to Las Vegas for a wedding of one Mr. Mark Claire. So looking forward to seeing the uh, the old gang, getting the band back together. Um, be seeing Mark, obviously, and Brian and Rico and uh, some other old friends I haven't seen in quite a long time. So looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, that's, that's it. Hopefully everyone has a great week uh, coming up this week. And I will see y'all next week. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire's liberty burning. <laughs>